I'm going to invite you now to stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from uh, the Gospel of Mark. This is the, actually the end of the Gospel of Mark. It begins at uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Loving God, as we spend this time at the end of your gospel, Mark's gospel, Lord, we pray that you will be with us on this Easter Sunday, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst, that he would be at work in our hearts and in our minds today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, I read of a man who uh, was blissfully driving along when he saw the Easter bunny hopping across the middle of the road. He swerved to avoid hitting the bunny, but unfortunately, the rabbit jumped right in front of his car and was hit. The basket of eggs went flying all over the place. Now, the driver, being a sensitive man as well as an animal lover, pulled over to the side of the road to get out and see what, he, what had become of the bunny carrying the basket. Much to his dismay, he found that the bunny was dead. Now the driver felt very guilty and he began to cry. A woman driving down the same road saw the man crying and pulled over. She stepped out of her car and asked the man what was wrong. I feel terrible, he explained. I accidentally hit the Easter bunny and killed it. There may not be an Easter because of me. What should I do? The woman told the man not to worry. She knew exactly what to do. She went to her car trunk and pulled out a spray can. She walked over to the limp dead bunny and sprayed the entire content of the can onto the little furry animal. Now, miraculously, the Easter bunny came back to life, jumped up, picked up the spilled eggs and candy, waved its paw at the two humans, and hopped on down the road. Fifty yards away, the Easter Bunny stopped, turned around, waved, and hopped on down the road another fifty yards, then turned around again, waved, hopped another fifty yards, turned around, and waved again. The man was utterly astonished. He said to the woman, what was it that you sprayed on the Easter Bunny? The woman turned the can around so he could read the label. It said, hairspray. 
restores life to dead hair, adds permanent wave. Yeah, those of you who are groaning will be telling that story, a joke very soon, very soon. Now, uh, now I'm a pretty sentimental guy. All you need to do is ask my wife. And I get uh, pretty sentimental during this season. It has always uh, held a lot of meaning for me and my family. Now, for some of you this morning, Easter is about the Easter Bunny. Or maybe it might be about uh, thoughts of springtime and the renewal of life that comes with the spring. But the Bible gives us a completely different perspective on Easter. And I want to take a look uh, this morning at the account from the Gospel of Mark, especially the last verse here. See, now Mark is not your usual go-to on Easter. It seems vague, and it ends abruptly. Some of you, if in your Bibles, you'll have a note there, and you'll have uh, ver- further verses but if you look at your footnote, it'll tell you this is uh, the ending of the original of the Gospel of Mark. He records the miracle of Easter, but he doesn't give us the kinds of details that the other Gospel writers do. Let's take a closer look at it. The account begins with uh, three women that come to anoint Jesus' body, and they therefore become the first witnesses to the empty tomb. Now, uh, let me pause here. This is extremely strong evidence for the historicity of the event. Because if uh, someone was making up this account, no one in their first century Jewish right minds would make women the first and primary witnesses. Because the witnesses of women would be discounted in that culture. And their witness accounts were rarely considered in courts of law. We're told that they were worried about the stone at the entrance of the tomb. But when they get there, they find that it's already been rolled away. They go in and find what looks like a young man with a white robe. And the other Gospels tell us that this is an angel. Mark includes the angel as a witness to the resurrection. But he also gave the women a message to deliver to his disciples. He tells them, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as, you told, just as he told you. You see the special mention of Peter here? I love that. See, Peter was one of, if not the most important, of the disciples. So he's obviously included if the angel had just said disciples. But he's mentioned especially here. You see, Peter has just denied his Lord. He has just denied the loving God, the one who would be taking away his sins, and he has done it three times. And his mention here is clearly intended as an assurance that Peter would be restored after even he had denied Jesus. Now the rest of his message is a promise. It's a promise that Jesus would appear to the disciples in Galilee. But what's interesting is that Mark doesn't include that event The other Gospels do, but Mark has a different emphasis, and this is a very good first century Hebrew way of emphasizing something very important, and that is by making it at the end. He ends his Gospel with this verse, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, 
they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now we know from the other Gospels that their silence was really only lasted a short while, but Mark gives a special emphasis to the silence and fear of the women. And Mark himself gives us the reason. When he writes, for they were afraid. See, Mark isn't talking about them fearing the Jews or the authorities, or of not being believed, or even of being thought of as crazy in grief. Mark has already piled up words expressing their fear and amazement in these verses. He tells us they were amazed. Don't be alarmed. He uses the word fled and trembling and astonishment. And these all clearly refer to the fear aroused by their experience at the tomb. See, we're forced to see that the statement that they were afraid refers to the same fear. It's the fear of God. See, the women had already experienced more minor traces of God's intervention, and it's no wonder they were afraid. So here's the point, and for those of you who like to keep notes, you'll find an outline in the middle of your bulletin there in, the, in one of your inserts. This is point one on that outline. Mark is giving us the antidote to all of our sentimental, sentimentalizing of Easter. Yeah, try and say that word. See, the reassurance which Easter message brings only occurs on the, radical, on, this, on the other side of a radical disturbing of all our security and all our self-assurance. This isn't like the resurrection of Lazarus, which only pointed forward to Christ's resurrection, even though that too is very disturbing. This is not a restoration to a life that would later die again permanently but is indeed the final resurrection brought into existence. For Christ is the first fruits of those that are asleep. See, we often want to reduce the gloriousness of this event into something that we can wrap our minds around. We try to treat this event as a comfortable piece of mental furniture, if you will. Many sermons are preached about the springtime and the renewal of life in the cycle of nature. You know, I think that one of the most unfortunate aspects of Easter in the West is that we celebrate it during spring. So it becomes easy to view the resurrection of our Savior as a, a metaphor for springtime. See, spring illustrates something completely different from what the Gospel proclaims. Because spring is followed by summer and then fall and winter, Life is followed by further death and dying. Paul writes, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That's in Romans 6, 9. And so point two on your outline is this. Spring and the cycle of life and death we know, but the resurrection is the miracle that turns the world upside down. The prophet Jeremiah was given a prophecy of the future hope of restoration, and carried along by the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words, They will be my people, and I will be their God. 
I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. That's from Jeremiah chapter 32. See, rarely do we think of reconciliation and and restoration as including the fear of God. Yet this is at the heart of what God desires. The perfect love that casts out fear clearly does not cast away a proper fear and reverence for God, for His holiness and His desires. See, if all the women had seen was a metaphor for life after death, they would hardly have felt fear and terror. What they had seen was God working a miracle to which all other miracles pale in significance. And Mark reminds us and warns us that we cannot bypass or ignore the fear, the awe, the sheer terror when we are confronted by this. The greatest of God's supernatural interventions into human history. That he stops at this point is to emphasize this fear, awe, and wonder. The absolute objective truth of Easter authenticates Jesus not as just a mere prophet or a teacher or saint or as some would like to see him, but as the eternal holy God, the second person of the Trinity. The resurrection is God's final word about the cross of Christ as the only way for humans to be redeemed. And it means that we can stand justified before God, forgiven for our sins. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus rose physically, bodily from the dead. I believe it. I believe it so thoroughly that I have bet my entire life, my family, and everything I have, will have, everything I am, or ever will be, on this historical event. I believe in the resurrection. I believe He has risen. I believe, that this, I believe this is a certainty. I don't believe it because it makes me feel good. In fact, it scares me like it did for those women who first witnessed his resurrection. It frightens me down to the core of my being. Why? Because if it's true, then that simple fact changes everything that the world believes to be true. It shakes the foundation of the world. It changes everything about how we must understand history, how we understand the world around us. It changes everything. I believe in the resurrection because the resurrection of Jesus expresses the new creation and it inaugurates God's final kingdom into this present world. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was the beginning of a new era in human history. Ever since the beginning, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, the world has been under the curse. See, God had promised to redeem His people and transform creation itself through a descendant of Eve. In the prophet Ezekiel chapter 37, God describes that redemption of His people 
as an act of resurrection. God putting flesh and skin on dry bones, raising people from their graves, and breathing his spirit into them. And so point three on your outline is this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, God's new creation kingdom has broken into this fallen world. This fallen world now exists side by side with God's kingdom. In his sermon on the last day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which we proclaimed at the beginning of the service, Peter tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that Jesus was the promised descendant of David, the promised king who would come and be the one who rules over creation. See, the resurrection of Jesus also proves that he is the great judge. When Paul arrives in Athens on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, he says that God has fixed a day to judge the world because Jesus rose from the dead. It establishes him as the one who will judge all creation on the final day. I believe in the resurrection. Because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that he is also the last Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 through 22, Paul writes this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, when Adam sinned, death entered into the world. When Jesus Christ, the last Adam, rose from the dead, new creation life began to flow into this world. In and through Jesus' resurrection, he has accomplished our spiritual birth and our spiritual resurrection from the dead. See, the risen Jesus is the one who gives spiritual life to his people. I believe in the resurrection because God made me alive together with Christ raised me up with him, and seated me with him in the heavenly places. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he raises us up from spiritual death into spiritual life. I believe in the resurrection. See, this is the proclamation at the very heart of what it means to possess saving faith. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead demonstrating to the world that he was innocent of the charges against him and that that death had no rightful hold on him. Paul tells us in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. Justification meaning that we are judged legally innocent in the court of holy almighty God. This is point four, by the way, on your outline because Jesus rose from the dead, and because we have believed that fact and have trusted Him and are bound to Him as His disciples, we are declared not guilty in God's court of law. You see, because Jesus rose from the dead and was exalted to the right hand of the Father, He is able to pour out the Holy Spirit on His people. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's able to give us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. 
See, I believe in the resurrection because His resurrection from the dead frees me from slavery to sin. Slavery to death and the devil. In Romans chapter 6, Paul tells us that everyone who is joined to Jesus Christ by faith has died, been buried, and raised with Christ. And therefore, we are no longer slaves of sin, but instead we are slaves of righteousness, given the power by the Spirit of God to obey Him and to be His instruments of righteousness in this world. And then later in Romans chapter 8, He tells us that the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in us to empower us to put sin to death. Point six on your outline is I believe in the resurrection because it means that the Spirit of God lives in us and empowers us to be free from our slavery to sin and to death and to the devil. See, Jesus' resurrection ensures that we too will one day have resurrected bodies. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us that when Christ returns, He will transform our bodies to match His glorious resurrection body. We live in a fallen world where our bodies decay and are subject to sickness and to aging. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is coming the day when our bodies will be transformed to match His perfect, glorious resurrection body. Have you ever, after a funeral, thought about what you'd like others to say about you at your funeral? I read of three buddies who were discussing death, and one asked the group, what would you like people to say about you? First, the first said he, he was a great humanitarian who cared about his community. The second said he was a great husband and father who was an example for many to follow. The third is my favorite. He said, what I'd like him to say is, look, he's moving. See, I believe in the resurrection because the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that God will one day transform all of creation. That one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of this transformation. And we participate and experience that new creation the moment we're born again by God's Spirit. When the full transformation comes, we will dwell face to face with God, knowing Him just as we are fully known by Him. Jesus said in John 11:25, "I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies." See, the reason we're here today together is to celebrate and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. And the basis of our hope for a future is not our right living. Neither is it the basis of our hope for a future found in our faith. The foundation of our hope is the resurrection of Jesus. And let me be very clear, and this is point seven on your outline. This is not a memorial service. 
we are celebrating the presence of the resurrected Lord. We don't just sit today and remember, we engage Him here and now. He is alive and He is here. That's what I'm proclaiming when I say I believe in the resurrection. See, we don't treat Jesus as a phantom or an ideal, but we know Him. We know Him as a living person. To be sure, the living person of God, but a person with whom we talk and in whom we trust and love. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I believe in the resurrection because it changes everything. Every Sunday, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday we gather is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday we gather recognizing the presence of the living, resurrected Jesus in our midst and God's Spirit living inside of us. That is the hope that we live with. You know, in today's world of smartphones, tablets, instant internet access, there are a lot of things we can know. If someone asks the question, how long is the Verrazano Bridge? A nimble person with uh, good internet access can ask their phone, Siri, how long is the Verrazano Bridge? And they'll get an almost instantaneous response. But if we had sitting here an 85-year-old retired construction worker that spent two years of his life building the Verrazano Bridge in his 20s, we would get the right information, but we'd also get it with great passion and intimate knowledge of how that bridge was built. We'd get personal stories. We'd get interesting reflections. See, that's what it means to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. It involves much more than repeating facts concerning Jesus and the Bible. Knowing Christ is an intimate relationship with Him that changes your life. And so when I proclaim He is risen, I not only proclaim the physical reality and truth of what happened 2,000 years ago, but I also proclaim that I have given my life to Him and have come into an intimate relationship with Him. I speak to Him, and He communicates to me. Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon that this season tends to make me a bit sentimental. I think of past Easter's. Ones when I was a youth and the traditions within the Coptic Orthodox Church in which I grew up. I still remember the crisscross bread and the colored hard-boiled eggs on top. Yeah, did you know that dyed eggs uh, go back hundreds and hundreds of years? And it's traditional even within the Eastern Orthodox tradition. Did you know that? I remember the fun times when our boys were young. And while those are wonderful times to remember. The reality of the history and the reality of the living, risen Jesus in our midst must never be masked or made into a minor part of the season. See, this morning we are reminded of the truth and reality of the living Christ here with us, in our midst, whom we will one day know face to face. I read uh, recently of a family that tragically lost three of their four children within just two weeks to a deadly, virulent disease. One child was left, a four-year-old boy 
the family had just buried the third child two weeks before Easter. On Easter morning, the parents and the remaining child went to church. The mother taught her Sunday school class about the resurrection of Jesus, and the father read the Easter story as he led the opening Sunday school devotion. People who knew about their great loss wondered how they could do it. One family of the church were in their car on their way home after church when their 16-year-old asked his father, Dad, that couple must believe everything about the Easter story, don't they? Of course they believe it, said the father. All Christians do. Then that young man said, but not like they do. Do you believe it like that family did? Are you willing to lay your life on the line for the resurrection today? Many Christians do around the world. What happens when death and tragedy strike close to home for you? Will you still believe? Do you trust him enough with each day of your life? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, on this Easter morning, as we celebrate your resurrection, as we celebrate your presence, the presence of the risen Christ in our midst today, Lord, we confess that our hearts have often been far from you. We have not lived with the knowledge, the truth of your resurrected presence in our life on a daily basis. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you will give us hearts, soft hearts, to recognize your presence here, to know that you're at work in our midst, in our lives, in our hearts. To know what happened 2,000 years ago, to know it with a certainty, and to bet our lives, our very lives, every moment of our life, to give that life and to live that life with the foundation of the truth of your resurrection. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.